Good morning. Are we well? Yes, wonderful. It's great to see you. Uh, very thankful to be here. Uh, thanks to Graham for the warm welcome and uh, to you all for, for allowing me to share with you this morning. Uh, let me give you a little uh, background information. So, um, my name's Tommy McNeil. I've been a minister for uh, 20 years. Uh, first five years of that was in Barvis, uh, Barvis Church of Scotland up in Lewis, which is where the, the Lewis revival happened uh, through Duncan Campbell. And for the time that my wife and I were there, we uh, kind of just sat at the feet of uh, those who had been saved during that time and caught something of their fire and their passion for, for revival. And we've always carried that. And, uh, and the reason why we're so passionate about revival is that such are the needs of our nation and it will likely be through of your community as it is of mine that uh, even on our best day we just don't have what's required to see our communities transformed uh, and, and that's a challenge I think for us personally and humanly speaking uh, but I think that's God's order and that's God's design that in order for us to see our communities transformed he has to come he has to show up he has to make himself known and manifest among his people been a minister of Martins for the last 14 odd years uh, and uh, when I came to Martins the church was at a, a very low ebb the previous minister had been there for 30 years and uh, as he was coming towards retirement then the church was kind of coming towards retirement too uh, and so the local presbytery who oversee our church decided that uh, the church should close or it should link with another church but thankfully uh, the elders at the time sensed that God wasn't finished with them and that there was still a role for them to fulfill and so uh, we were called uh, initially for four years a four year reviewable tenure um, and the reason for that was to give us a little bit of impetus and to say to the church there well we have four years for uh, turning this place around and to see God come in greater measure uh, and after four years if nothing happens and if nothing changes then I'll just go off to another church but your doors will close and didn't say it as, as harsh as that but, but that's kind of the reality of, of where we were and over the course of the years that we've been there um, God has just done an absolutely remarkable work uh, in terms of church growth uh, we have the shed project uh, it's a new purpose built facility that we built in, in 2014 and the reason for the shed project was that uh, within Lewis uh, Lewis is still a, a fairly relig- religious place and uh, we were doing some, uh, some work amongst the, the addiction community and uh, as we were engaging with individuals who had trouble and difficulty with drink and drugs then it was just proving too much for them for many of them to step across the, the threshold of the church so we wanted to create a neutral space and, and we, we did that the shed uh, cost us £270,000 to build and it was our loudest statement yet to the community that we're, we're here for you we love you and when we opened it uh, we had the rather unique experience of having a royal opening uh, so Prince Edward and Sophie came to open the shed there's a whole story behind that um, but it was just God saying to us there's a royal seal of approval on, on this work uh, and especially heaven's blessing and, and over the course of the last number of years uh, that aspect of our work has really grown and, and flourished we, we now have seven members of staff who are working in and through the shed and uh, this, the youth aspect youth and schools and then the community aspect uh, so, so yeah God's hand is really on it and really part of, of what we heard yesterday at the commission was that if we have a heart for Jesus and, and we know something 
expression of his heart and his love for us, then it's the most natural thing in the world for us to have a heart for our community. And I know that that will be true for you here, that uh, even with your name, New Beginnings, that that's part of the, your statement you want to make to the people of Moodysburn, that, that there is an opportunity that it is only Jesus who can give us a new beginning. We, we, can, we can reform our lives, but only he can transform our lives. And that's why we look to him and we give him the preeminence in all things. So just, um, that's just a little bit of background info. Um, and I'm from Lewis, I'm a Stornoway boy, and uh, I definitely see it as one of God's great kindnesses to me that I get to minister in my own hometown. And thus far, anyway, it hasn't been a case of a prophet is without honour. They haven't sussed me out yet, and they haven't kicked me out, so uh, we'll be there for the foreseeable uh, in God's plan and purposes. So in order to uh, prepare our hearts for God's word this morning, uh, I, I want to bring uh, or ask you just a couple of questions. And uh, if you want, you can shout out an answer. Um, so, but just to help kind of engage us and activate our minds. So if, if I was to ask you, um, what do you think is the greatest need uh, that the church in Scotland faces today? And that's quite a big question. You might need to think about that for a moment. What is the, the greatest need that the church in Scotland has today? And just think about that and, and let me take it to this level. What is the greatest need of new beginnings? What's the greatest need of your church? So anyone, or, or if you want to ask, answer the bigger question about the church in Scotland, anyone want to, to uh, offer an answer? Boldness. Boldness. Excellent. Power of the Holy Spirit. Wonderful. Healing. Healing. Amen. Yeah, good. Okay. I have uh, the blessing of, of travelling to, to lots of different places around Scotland and getting to, to share God's word with his people. And uh, when I go to different places, I'll often ask the leadership or, or the pastor or the minister, what, what's your greatest need? What's your greatest area of challenge? And sometimes when I, when I speak to pastors, their response is, oh, we need more people. We're just desperate to see more people. Uh, when I speak to worship leaders, they'll quite often tell me, oh, musicians. We're really thin on the ground with musicians. We really need more musicians. When I speak to children's and family workers or youth workers, oh, we need more children and young people. We're really concerned. We don't have enough children and young people. When I speak to treasurers, which sometimes I do, <laughs> guess what their answer is? <laughs> Always the same. Um, and, and you know, part of the beauty of our story as a church is uh, God, God is making, honestly, miraculous provision for the work that we are doing. Uh, we're in a rural community, uh, so there isn't a lot of money. There's no really high-paid jobs back in Stornoway and in Lewis. Um, but back in 2009, uh, we undertook a refurbishment of our sanctuary um, in order just because we had a sense of God telling us you need to renew your space to make this a warmer but also a purpose-built uh, space for our community. So we did that, and that cost us £300,000. And uh, we did it by faith. Uh, we had half the money that had been raised up in the previous years, but the rest uh, was, was raised and came in. 
and we were still paying that money off when the vision for the shed project came and, uh, and I had a pastoral concern in my heart that I was going to put too much of a financial burden on, on, on my congregation, on my people and so I spoke to one of my senior elders who was a businessman and had lived his whole life in business and, and I said I'm actually looking for your advice I don't want to put too much of a burden on, on, on the congregation and he was really gracious but also very, very firm he says Tommy if God has spoken to you about this you don't have a choice we have to do it uh, and so we, we took a step of faith and we, we built the shed you know, at that cost of 270,000 and, and, and again we, we were just relying on God and looking to God for, for provision um, as of two or three years ago uh, we were debt free uh, we are about to roll out a, a new media project within the life of our church uh, to live stream our services and to uh, live stream some of our conferences uh, we are investing £40,000 into that and God willing later this year or next year, uh, the start of next year uh, we're going to be uh, putting in a new, brand new purpose built kitchen and renewing our hall facilities uh, and, and we're doing that not because we necessarily need them but uh, we recognise the need that uh, there is in our community and we want to be able to better serve them um, and so you know I mean, I've read out various answers as to what, you know, people's perception of their greatest need might be. Uh, and I can relate to all of these. But, but none of them are our greatest need. And, and none of them are your greatest need. Because the one thing that for me, and this is personal to me, you may not agree, but the one thing that, that I think unites every single church and God's, the greatest need we have from God uh, within uh, the churches throughout our land is we need more of Him. We need more of His presence. And, and, you know, He said more of the Holy Spirit, and that's exactly right. And there's a great danger that when the church is in challenging days, and when there is a variety of need around us, that we lose sight of the fact that actually He is our greatest need. Uh, back when I was ordained into my first church, uh, a number of friends came for the uh, induction service. And as we were looking uh, to the weekend, uh, there was a, an old elder who had been in the revival, a really godly old man. And he had now reached a stage in life where he wasn't able to get out and about. So uh, I asked for some of my friends to go and visit him. And on the Saturday we went to Donald's house. And uh, he was frail and he was in his chair. And, and I just wanted him to be blessed. And I knew he couldn't get to the induction. So there was four or five of us who gathered in his, in his living room. And just to share in a time of fellowship and worship with him. And uh, one of my friends said to him, Oh, well, Donald, you'll be glad that there's a, a nice new young minister in your pulpit. And uh, he kind of sat there and he didn't really comment. And I'm waiting to hear, oh, no, what's, what's he going to say? And true enough, he, he kind of sat forward and, and just with a real sense of strength he just said it's not more ministers we need it's more of God we need and, um, and humanly speaking you think I could take offence at that but actually I couldn't agree more I agreed 100% with what he said Duncan Campbell who was used by God in that move of the Holy Spirit said the kingdom of God God's purposes on earth are not going to advance by our churches becoming filled with more people God's kingdom on earth will advance when the people already in our churches become more filled with God. And I believe that wholeheartedly. And so this morning I want to share a message with you that I hope will be encouraging uh, for what it can look like when you have Jesus in your house. 
when Jesus comes and, um, and I'm going to share a passage from, from Mark's Gospel and part of what I want us to be aware of is that throughout Mark's Gospel you read at various times and Jesus came home and Jesus came home and when I read that then that for me is a picture of the church and the life of the church because we gather around the presence of Jesus and so this may not be a home uh, in the sense of somewhere where people dwell but it is a place where Jesus dwells and he promises to meet with his people and you and I know the importance of making sure that our churches are warm and welcoming for, for new people who might come along but any given Sunday we never know who's going to walk in from, from Moody'sburn or from somewhere nearby and uh, we, we, we know the importance as leaders, as members we want to make sure if anyone comes that they know we're delighted to see them and it's a blessing for us to have them with us and whilst we give importance and priority to that I want us to think how can we make God feel welcome how can we by our hearts and, and, it, and it's, just not, it's, it's a case of not just turning up on a Sunday and doing what we normally do but actually he looks for hunger he looks for those who are expecting him to, to show up and to do something of real significance. And so whilst we're aware of others in our community who, who really need God and who really need an encounter with God and who need to be transformed by God, but, well, I don't know about you, but, but I need all of that. I mean, he saved me, you know, however many years ago, a long time ago, 30 years ago, I was saved. And, and it's this remarkable thing that the longer and the further I go on in my life as a believer, the more convinced I am of my absolute, utter need and dependency upon God. But I want to encourage you um, and give you a vision of what can happen here in New Beginnings Church in Moody'sburn when Jesus shows up in your house. So uh, Mark chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 29. Mark 1 from verse 29. <coughs> As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her by her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Amen. And we do give thanks to God for this reading of his own holy word, and to his name be the praise and the glory. Verse 29 uh, brings alive for us a picture very similar to your experience this morning. Uh, the synagogue represents the symbolic of the church and so Jesus had been in church with some of his friends with James and John and with Simon and with Andrew and we have this beautiful picture that them having gathered together in worship them having been together in God's house that at the end of the service then as they have Jesus with them Simon and, and Andrew they're not just content with having been in church but as they have been blessed by the presence of Jesus with them, they make this decision that they want Jesus to go with them after church. And so they invite Jesus home for, for lunch with them. And 
When we gather together for worship, we are always promised the presence of Jesus. Where two or three gather in His name, there He is and He's there to bless them. But I hope that you're aware that what we do and what you do here every Sunday morning is actually not meant to satisfy you. It's actually meant to do the opposite. It's meant to awaken a hunger within you for more. That as we're blessed, as we encounter the reality of the presence of Jesus when he gathers with us, that that actually there's something within us that says, Jesus, it was wonderful to be with you in church today, but but, but actually my longing is is not just to visit you once a week for an hour on a Sunday morning, but but I want to take you home with me. I want to take you home so that you're part of my life from day to day. I want to take you home so that you're a a blessing to my family. And and Simon and Andrew, I believe Simon had a vested interest, and we'll consider that in a moment, as to why he wanted Jesus to come home with him. Because, you know, he didn't have to ask Jesus to his house. He wasn't forced to. He wasn't compelled to. But having already encountered Jesus, having already been brought alive to how amazing he was, and just to be in his presence, then Simon... Peter and Andrew are aware that it would be wonderful if he could come home with us. I don't know if you have the practice here of of Sunday lunch in Lewis. Sunday lunch is the most important meal of the week. Your roast, your veg, your Yorkshires, your roast roast potatoes. You know, no holes barred, you go the full booster for a Sunday lunch. And, and, and for, for Jewish culture, it was actually something similar. The Sabbath was very, very precious. And, and, and one of the things that were precious in the life of a Jewish community was gathering together around a meal. And when you read the Gospels, it is fascinating the amount of times Jesus gathers with his friends around a meal. And, and that's the picture that's presented for us here. And as Simon and his brother Andrew have been with Jesus in church, then they make this decision that they're not going to be content to wait till next week, so, so they invite him to come to their house. And as I said, that's a theme that you find throughout the Gospel of Mark. So, so if you look just to chapter 2, verse 1, a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Now it's reckoned that that was the house of Simon Peter. And, and I just hope that, that what you hear of Jesus, what you encounter of Jesus, what you receive of him, that it does awaken that desire and longing uh, that you would just want to take him with you to your house so that he can be with you every day and he can be a blessing to you and to your family. And so they make their way to this house and, and they'll be getting ready to have their Sabbath meal together. And verse 30 tells us that Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus, about her. You know, one of the, the great blessings about being part of the church, about being part of a Christian community, is that we, we're not called to do life on our own. Uh, I believe this is one of the reasons why the church can be such a blessing to our nation. We have a, a pandemic of, of mental health issues. We have a pandemic of loneliness, of people who feel isolated and, and their life experience is limited because there's so much time on their own and, and whether it's social media or, or whether it's you know a whole lot of other things that, that can just take people and, and where they feel so alone and we were never meant to live alone, we were never meant to live isolated lives, the God who created 
created us is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He's lived in community for the whole of eternity. And when He, when he created us and made us in His image, He made us with uh, having such desires that actually I need other people in my life. Not just my wife, not just my children, but I need those who are going to journey with me. And part of the beauty of what the church offers with that sense of community is that when need arises, when we have need in our house, when we have need in our home, when we have need in our family, and sometimes if that need is beyond who we are and what we can do, then what a blessing it is to have brothers and sisters in Christ. What a blessing it is to be part of a church and a family that we know I don't have to walk through this on my own. And that's the picture we have here. Mother-in-laws tend to get a bit of a bad press. I don't know why that is. Um, I've been married for 27 years. Uh, my mother-in-law went to glory a few years ago. And, uh, and she was an amazing lady. She was a real gift to me. In fact, uh, she had three daughters. I married one of them, obviously. And um, one of the things I loved about my mother-in-law is that it was known among the family that it appeared that she loved me more than she loved her own daughter. It was kind of unique. Um, and I just put that down to her, her discernment. You know, she was a wise, she was a wise woman. Um, but no, I had a very precious relationship. So, but, but it's not always the case. But, but see, when the kingdom comes, and when Jesus is present, then there's a love we have for one another that, that just grows. And this is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about us knowing the presence of God. Because when we experience more of His love for us, not only do we grow in our love for Him, but we grow in our love for one another. And you know, one of the greatest evangelistic tools that we have in the life of the church, I mean, we're living in a day where the resources that are available to us in terms of how to reach your community and how to build bridges and how to engage with your community, and I'm thankful for all of that, and we've used some of that in the Shed Project. But Jesus himself, I believe, gave the greatest key to evangelism. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. When you love one another. That the love you have in the fellowship of new beginnings is so real, is so active, that the world sees it. And it awakens something within them that says, I don't have that in my life. I want to be part of a loving fellowship. I want to be part of a community who when need comes my way, I know I'm not on my own. That not only do I have God who is there, but sometimes in our place of need, we, we, we don't really know where He is. We can't really sense Him because we can know a sense of fear or anxiety. But then if I have a brother or sister who comes alongside me, what a difference it makes. We're told that Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. Here's a very simple question. What is prayer? Prayer is talking to God. What does Simon Peter do when he tells Jesus about his mother-in-law sick in bed with a fever in the house? He prays. He wouldn't have thought of it in that moment as prayer. But he talks to Jesus. And he shares a need with Jesus. He's praying. And what a blessing it is for us as those who are part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we know, a gift of love and community and fellowship and friendship. What a blessing that for these moments and for these times, that that even the community can't help us because the need we have is beyond that. But we can always speak to Jesus. 
I, I quite often encourage when, when I was when I was minister in Barvis, uh, there was uh, we had a small youth group and there was a, a lot of youth in the community who were totally disconnected and disaffected by church. And uh, the parents in my church would sometimes come along and, and with a sense almost of regret and you know, Tommy, I'm really sorry, my my, my young person, my, my son, my daughter won't come to church. And I would always say to him, listen, you need to lift off any sense of burden with that. That's, don't you worry about it. In fact, if you force them, then that's worse. And we had so many within our community who don't want to touch the church with a barge pole today because they were forced to go when they were younger. And I would always encourage parents by saying to them, listen, you need to be aware of this. It's not always appropriate for you to speak to your young person, your child, about Jesus. There's actually a danger you can put them in the opposite direction. But here's what I want you to do. It's not always right for you to speak to them about Jesus, but it is always right for you to speak to Jesus about them. And sometimes that's the more powerful thing you can do. Just speak to Jesus about them. Share your concerns, share your burdens, share your longings. And then trust Him to work in their hearts and lives that they might come alive to the reality of who God is. I wonder this morning... I wonder, is there someone in your life that you need to speak to Jesus about? I wonder, is there people in your family circle, people in your friendship circle, and you look on at their lives and you're burdened for them because you know that there's need and you wish you could do something more, but it's out with your your range, your reach. I wonder who you need to speak to Jesus about. But I wonder as well, I wonder who's speaking to Jesus about you. I mean, that's a profound thought. But that's what's part of being in a living fellowship. Part of our love for one another is expressed in our praying for one another. And what a blessing that is. That that you and I can, can take others before the God of heaven and ask him to intervene in the challenges that we see around us. And we're real limited in what we can do. So, so for us back home as a fellowship, right now uh, we have uh, a 20 year old young man, his name is Peter. And uh, just around Christmas and New Year time, he, he just he wasn't feeling 100%. And, and he wasn't really sure what it was. He went to the doctor and was told it's just the cold. It was nothing to do with coronavirus. That hadn't really appeared. Just a cold and go home and you'll be okay. He went home and a week later he wasn't feeling any better. He was actually feeling worse. And so he went back to the doctor, 20 years of age. And uh, he was diagnosed with cancer. Now, we've cultivated intentionally and deliberately a real sense of family within the life of our church. And so our church have gathered around the Aitken family and we're journeying with them. And we're doing anything we can to show and to shower love on them, providing meals, helping with anything practical that we can do. Because he has to spend probably up to three months in Inverness at Raidmore Hospital where he's receiving treatment. Now his prognosis is good um, and we give thanks to God for that. Uh, But he has real need. And what a blessing it is for our church. And and we've done this with other individuals over the years where we we say to a family, listen, we'll do anything we can practically, but the greatest thing we can do right now is to bring you to Jesus, is to pray for you. And every time we gather, we pray for Peter and we seek God's blessing and God's healing for him. (coughs) 
I wonder who you need to speak to Jesus about, but I wonder who Jesus, who's speaking to Jesus about you. Take encouragement from that. So, Simon has told Jesus about his mother-in-law in bed with a fever. And this is the wonder of prayer. This is why prayer is so powerful. No sooner has Peter told, Simon Peter told Jesus about her. Verse 31, so he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. And what a beautiful answer to prayer. Doesn't waste any time, doesn't ask any questions. And again, in Jewish culture, this was something remarkable. At this stage, when she has this fever, she would have been isolated. She would have been on her own. And we can't even know that to a degree. If someone in her home has got a cold or a flu, or it's like, you know, I'll maybe get you a lemsip, but I'm keeping my distance because I don't want to get it. And within Jewish culture, there was this concept and idea that if someone was ill, they were considered unclean. And by engaging with them, and especially by touching them, then you would render yourself unclean. And it would have been challenging for her, but yet beautiful that as Jesus comes to her, now, throughout his life, he could have just spoken to the fever and tell it to go. He could have done that. But that's not how he chooses to work in this instance. He goes to her and he offers her his hand. And she invites, he invites her by offering um, her his hand, in a sense, just to say, Okay, I, I want to heal you. I want to restore you. And whenever the gospel is preached... What actually happens spiritually is that Jesus comes to individuals and he stands in front of them and he offers his hand saying, I want to help you. I want to help you up. And so in salvation, the greatest miracle Jesus ever performs is salvation. And if you're not a believer here this morning, then you need to know that as I'm bringing this message, you need to visualize Jesus standing right in front of you and saying, here's my hand. I want to be part of your life. I want you... Uh, I want to journey with you throughout your life's journey. But in this instance it was, it was for healing. And it would have taken faith for her. You know, I reckon she wasn't feeling good at all. She had a fever. They didn't have the medications that we have nowadays. She's feeling lousy. But she's the offer not just of help but of hope. And sometimes as believing people, you know, we need to ask God, help me get beyond my feelings. Help me not to live according to my feelings. If I don't feel like doing something, help me to step beyond that and realize and recognize that if Jesus is present, he's got a higher calling on my life. And I'm not going to allow my life or my experience of him to be shaped by my feelings. But I'm going to allow faith to come to the fore. Jesus reaches out his hand and offers it to her and helps her up. Beautiful healing, powerful healing. What an amazing experience for her. And maybe today it's not salvation, but maybe life has taken its toll on us. And maybe physically we're fine. But maybe emotionally or spiritually, it's as though we've got a sickness. We're not 100%. And the same grace that saved us leads Jesus to come to you and still offer you a hand that says, just place your hand in mine and I'll lead you on and I'll bring healing to your heart and to your mind and I'll bless you. So what about Simon's mother-in-law? She has Jesus in front of her, offering her his hand. And the rest of verse 31 goes on and tells us, the fever left her and she began to wait on them. Now, For me, I find that quite profound. 
I don't find it too surprising because it's a, it's a woman. I don't mean to be sexist, but but you know, man flu is a real thing. Just just to make you aware of that. And, and actually, when we suffer from man flu, even when we begin to improve, you know, we we have we have to kind of prolong, you know, because sometimes our wives or others think that we're better now and we sh- we're fit and we should be able to do anything. And sometimes as men, hey, hold, do you not realise how unwell I've been? You know, give me some. T- I need time to to re. Group. I need time to regain my strength. Am I, am I the right man? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. But look at Simon's mother-in-law. The fever left her. Now she's been in a place of weakness and human frailty. She would have had a temperature, a fever. But as soon as she encounters Jesus, her first thought is, I want to serve him. I want to serve his purposes. Immediately, instantly, she was saved to serve. She was healed to serve. And if we're to see the church across Scotland become all that we've, uh, God has desired us and destined us to be, then part of what needs to happen is that every single part and person who is part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to realize we've been saved to serve. We've been saved to contribute. We've been saved as part of the body to partner with Jesus in what he's doing and effecting change and transformation around the world. I I remember uh, being at a conference where the conference speaker uh, said to to the the four or five hundred who were present, he was speaking about the body of Christ and how we've all been given gifts. And and, and he asked people to be honest just with a show of hands. And he said, how many of you here know, know what your gift is, spiritual or practical in terms of of, pardon me, outworking it in the life of the church. And he reckoned that um, about 20% of those who were there put up their hands, who, who knew exactly what their sense of gift and calling was, uh, and who, who were living it out. And so, of the 20% who raised their hands, he then said, so of you who raised your hands, can I ask you, how many of you are actively working and serving in your church in some kind of role connected with what you believe God has gifted you to do? And about half of those who had put up their hand initially put their hand up again. So he said, so you're telling me amongst a group of four to five hundred believers that we have 10% of you who are actively engaged in serving and playing your part as the body of Christ in your community. And he then said this, if any of us had only 10% of our body working, We would have a severe limited experience of life. It would hold us back and hinder us. And he said, is it any wonder within our communities that if we only have 10% actively involved in whatever that might be, spiritual or practical, that, that we're just not representing the body of Christ in the way that he desires that we would. I'm saying this not in any way to judge or condemn anyone. I don't know any of you. But it's quite the opposite. I'm always encouraging. We are always on the lookout for volunteers. Almost every single week in our church notices. Uh, because we have about, I don't know, 15 to 20 different ministries. Hospitality, uh, tech team, media team, uh, worship team, kids team, seniors team, home visiting team. I mean the list goes on. And, and, and we're a church that never stands still. And so there is always work, there is always development. Uh, and, and I believe that, that 
uh, we should have full body ministry. That everyone who is part of the church should be actively involved in some way or another. And the reason why I encourage my congregation towards that is because there is actually a joy and a blessing that we will receive in serving. That, that if we are not serving and engaged, we are doing ourselves a great injustice. You know, it's just a blessing to be able to, to play our part in serving Christ. There's a true story that I came across recently that really just touched my heart in, in this area. A guy who was a pediatrician, David Karkira, he shares the story of, of a young girl who really touched and impacted the church that he was part of. David Kirkira's wife was a Sunday school teacher and she was sharing with the children about um, what it is to be useful and what it is to play your part in God's purposes. And at the end of her talk, uh, this little girl called Sarah came up to her and, uh, and, and said, Teacher, what can I do? I'm only six and I really want to play my part in serving the church. What can I do? And uh, this, David Kirkira's wife, the teacher, wasn't quite sure what to say. She was somewhat caught on the hop. She wasn't expecting such an immediate response. And, um, and Sarah pressed her to tell me there's got to be something I can do. I want to play my part of uh, being uh, in the life of the church. And, and the lady, David Kirkira's wife, she, she noticed uh, near the front of the church on a ledge was a vase. And the vase was empty. And, and so David Kikira's wife said to young Sarah, I'll tell you what you can do. See next Sunday, bring a flower with you. And, and I want you to bring a flower with you. And I want you to put it in that empty vase. And if you do that, then that will be a blessing to God. And, and sure enough, next Sunday, Sarah came and, and uh, her mother, mum had helped her and she had a little bit of tin foil around the bottom of it and here was a dandelion. Um, and, and she brings the dandelion and, you know, puts it in the vase and they put it with water. Uh, and every single week, Sarah would come faithfully because this was her job. And she loved to do it. And she'd been taught, you know, that you're bringing a bit of color into the church. You're reminding people that God is creator. You're reminding people of the beauty of his creation. You're helping other people worship. And so Sarah felt really important with her role. David Kirkira, the pediatrician, goes on saying that this Sunday after the service, Sarah's mother came to speak to him and said, we're concerned about Sarah, will you come and, uh, or can we take her to the surgery? She'd lost her appetite and things were proving to be difficult. And so the next day Sarah came in and they ran a whole variety of tests and... Um, David the pediatrician then asked Sarah and her mum and dad to come in to see him, which they did, and the results were tragic. Sarah had leukemia, and the prognosis wasn't good. Devastated the family, devastated the church, and it got to the stage where in the weeks to come she would come with her flower, but then she wasn't able to come anymore. She was too weak and too frail and her immune system was so under attack that it wasn't safe for her to be around. And the amazing thing was that the church really noticed because the vase was empty.
David continued a journey with the family and he got to a stage where he knew that Sarah's time in this world was really limited. And so he took her parents aside and said, you need to prepare now. She's not, she doesn't have long left. And the, the church family had been part of the journey. Again, the beauty of community and journeying together. And as the preacher was preaching this particular Sunday, he comes near the end of his sermon and the door to the back of the church open. And everyone turns around and hears Sarah. And she's in her father's arms because she's too weak now to walk. And she knew her time in this world was coming to an end. So she said, she pleaded, Mom and Dad, please, just one more Sunday, please. And she had the tinfoil with the little flower. And her dad carried her, took her to the vase and they had a bottle of water, put in some water and put the flower in. And the whole church gathered round and loved on the family and prayed for Sarah. And, and within four days she'd gone to heaven. And after the service on that Sunday, the, the person went to see the vase and, and they noticed that there was a little bit of paper by the vase. They hadn't seen it. And the person who found the piece of paper opened it up and here was some writing with a pink crayon. And the, the little note simply said, Dear God, This vase has been the biggest opportunity in my life. Thank you for helping me to serve you. And the next Sunday, the pastor read out the note and this shared with everyone. When we're invited to volunteer, to serve, don't think that it's a burden and that it's another thing to do in the midst of a busy life. What a blessing! To be able to contribute something, even something simple, in order that we play our part, that the beauty of God might be seen in our fellowships, in our churches, and then that the beauty of God will then be seen and communicated to the world outside of us. I'm sure, because New Beginnings will be the same as any other church or fellowship, I'm sure there are needs within your church. And and part of what I would encourage you to do is just ask you, Jesus, is there something you want me to do? That the next time you hear about the need for a volunteer, that that God will remind you of this word and this message. And you think, yeah, I can do something. Simon's mother-in-law had been powerfully healed. She's now serving. And uh, and the wonder, and this is why uh, knowing the presence of Jesus with us in our churches is so powerful. Because what happens when people encounter Jesus, especially in salvation or in healing? Well, well you can't kind of contain that kind of message. So verse 32 tells us that that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the, and the demon possessed. And, and when God shows up and when he does what he alone can do, then the Holy Spirit is still our greatest evangelist and he'll make sure through people, even in a sovereign way, that others outside of the church will hear that he's come, that he's working, that he's moving, that he's bringing freedom and health and healing and salvation. And, and Mark wants us to know, for the Jew, to, for them to observe the Sabbath, you would go to synagogue, you would go home, you would have your Sunday lunch, and then you would rest, you would enter into a rest 
the, the, the promised rest for the people of God. And, and let's remember that they didn't have street lights. So when Mark says that evening after sunset, uh, they would normally not leave their homes. Uh, and even from a, a safety point of view, because it would have been dark outside. And, and we have this beautiful picture of, of news of what Jesus has done in this church, getting out to the community and people in their homes who would normally want to stay there, uh, you know, just because that's what culture did. That they think, well, hold on a minute, if he's here and if he's near and if he's present and if he's working, then, then I need to come to him. I need to go to the place where he is. And what about having that as a vision for, for God's purposes here in New Beginnings? That because Jesus shows up in a greater way, because lives are transformed, because he's doing what he alone can do, that people who out there spiritually, they're still in darkness, but actually they make the decision, I, I hear light has come, I hear life has come, and I want to come to where he is. And I'll tell you why I want to give you that as a vision this morning for God's purposes here in New Beginnings. Because verse 33, I mean it's astounding to me. See what Mark says. The whole town gathered at the door. That's revival. The people come from their houses because they know Jesus is present and and they know he's working. The whole town, I mean I love that verse. The whole town gathered at the door. Now, you know, there's probably a degree where this is a bit of hyperbole in, in terms of exaggeration. Did absolutely everyone in this town gather at this house? Probably not, but there was certainly a sufficient number. The whole town gathered at the door. I, I, um, I did some research on Moody's Burn. See when, uh, let me let you into a secret. See when we as ministers say I did some research. That means we type something into Google and then we go to Wikipedia. So that was the extent of my research. But anyway, what I discovered was that back in the 2012 census, the last time a census was done, that the population of Moodisburn was about 7,000. Now I don't know has that changed since then, but you know, 7,000 people. How would you cope if next Sunday the whole town gathered at the door? (laughs) I mean, isn't that a dream? But here scripture is telling us that it's, it's within the realm of possibility. I mean, 7,000 people. Where are they going to fit? I know there will be other fellowships, I'm sure. And maybe today, it's like, oh yeah, that would never happen. Okay, you're not going to see 7,000 turn up outside your door next Sunday. But, but what if 20% of that came? What if 10%? I mean, that's 700 people. What if 5%? See, I I want to encourage faith within you in terms of God's purposes, that they're not just limited to here, but what he does here, news of it breaks out, and that people in their homes who are still spiritually in darkness, that the eternity that God placed in them when he made them, all of a sudden comes alive, and that they realize and recognize, oh, I need to find God. And, and when they think about where they can find God, then, then maybe they've been to your cafe through the week and they've never darkened 
to the door here on a Sunday. But they've come in and they've met with believers. And they're aware that you're here. And so when God into their darkness brings the light and life of His Son. They think, oh I know where I can go. And I want you to have faith. And, and, and I know that... I don't know why you came up with the the name New Beginnings, but I know that there's a prophetic element. Because what you want to communicate to the people of Moodisburn and wherever else you come from is, only God can give you a new beginning. No one else can. It is humanly impossible. Only God can do that. And that part of your voice as a church in this community is, is that God loves to give new beginnings to anyone who will come to Him. And this for me is why we need more of Jesus in our churches. Duncan Campbell said that the Holy Spirit is still the greatest evangelist the church has. When he comes, people will know. People will hear. And so just in closing this morning, the whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Whenever God shows up to do a great work, the enemy will never be far away. And the goal of the enemy, in a whole variety of ways, he's very subtle, is just to try and get the focus of Jesus. To try and bring distraction. And in the context of this house, as the enemy is seeing these lives being impacted and changed, then those who he has had some power over, they begin to manifest. And it was, as I say, just to take away the attention from what God was doing. And as Jesus healed and as he drives out many demons, then here we see the wonder of who Jesus is. And this is going to lead me, with, uh, leave, lead me to leave you with a question this morning. He drove out the demons and he wouldn't let them speak because they knew who he was. He has all power. He has all authority. We don't need to live in fear of the enemy and what he might do, especially if God blesses us with growth. He's already been dealt with. We keep our focus on Jesus, who he is and what he's doing. And if the enemy looks to cause a bit of a a rami, a bit of a stushy, then we deal with him and we tell him to go in Jesus' name. But it's that phrase, he wouldn't let them speak because the demons knew who he was was I wonder this morning do you know who Jesus is maybe you've been a believer a long time and you've almost become almost too familiar with him do you have a sense of awe and wonder when you realize who he is as a son of God who he is as your savior and lord See, when we know who He is, we don't have anything else to fear. And actually, when we know who He is, then we have a sense of His purposes for our towns, for our communities. And we will then look to partner with Him in order to see transformation happen. And this is the beauty of the way Jesus works. Transformation will often begin within us first. Revival begins within the people of God. When it comes to revival, we're quite often looking out there and looking for evidence of God. He will always begin within his own house. To revive and quicken your heart and mine. So that we then have his heart and express his heart to the community around us. You see, they knew who he was. Probably the most important question Jesus ever asked. He said to his disciples in Matthew 16. First of all, the general question. Who do people say that I am? Oh, some say Elijah. Some say one of the prophets. Okay, 
But what about you? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And if you know who Jesus is today, then you're probably more blessed than you realize. And that's, I can say that that's true of my life too. If you don't know Jesus, if you're not fully convinced that He's not Lord of your life, then He stands in front of you this morning and He offers you His hand. And basically He says, don't leave me behind here till next week or the, whenever you gather. I want you to take me home with you. I want to be part of your life and part of the life of your family so that I can be a blessing to you and to those around you. And so, so I pray for you all here in New Beginnings. And you know what? We understand New Beginnings in terms of the lost being found, the lost being saved. That's the ultimate New Beginning. But you know what I'm seeing? The length and breadth of our nation. Christ coming and doing something fresh in the life of His church. So that as believers, we have some new beginnings. New beginning in my love for God. New beginning in my commitment to Him. A new beginning in my desire to serve Him. A new beginning in making myself available as part of His body to express His heart to the world that is around me. Who do you say that I am? If you know who He is, then... Let's make sure that we give him our everything. Because that's what he gave for you and for me. Let's just bow for a moment of prayer. Living and loving Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for the wonder of your life recorded for us in the Gospels. Thank you for what you did in Simon Peter's house. Thank you for the healing that you brought to his mother-in-law. Thank you that whilst we don't know her name, her life still speaks. Thank you that immediately as she was healed, that she began to serve. Thank you, Lord Jesus, King and Head of the Church, for when you called and brought new beginnings and turned it from vision into reality. Thank you for the years of faithful service, faithful witnessing. Thank you for the coffee shop. Thank you for revealing uh, through this church the heart of Christ to their community that whether or not someone comes here on a Sunday that there is a living witness, there is a light in the darkness every day. And I bless you for that. And Jesus, I thank you for the reminder from your word today that when you show up, healing will come, salvation will come, the community will come alive to the fact that you are near and they'll come looking for you. And I pray that what we read of Capernaum on that Sunday would be true of new beginnings. God, I speak life, blessing and future. I speak growth, Lord. Lord, reach out into this community and and for those who have need in their homes that is too great, too big for them and they know it, that it's not even an answer of financial capability or material possession or brilliance of mind or thought, but it is just need that they cannot meet because it needs nothing less than the intervention of God. But then, Lord, I pray that for those in Moody's Burn today who don't know where to turn and who don't know what to do, oh God, will your spirit touch their hearts where they begin to look for you. And in that process of looking for you, may they come here knowing that there are people, the body of Christ, who will help them find you and then to walk with you. 
So I bless you for every person here this morning. I bless you for every home, for every family represented. And Jesus, thank you that in the context of what we've considered today, that you've given us a picture of what revival can look like. Not just a church blessed with the presence of Jesus and the activity of his kingdom, but literally a community transformed and impacted. Give us such a vision, Lord Jesus, of you doing that in Moody'sburn or whatever uh, community we're from. And Lord, as you give us that vision, then may we, in response to our faith for the fulfillment of it, make ourselves fully available to you. And Lord, whether it's putting a flower in a vase, whether it's brushing and sweeping up after uh, the coffee shop's been open, whether it's welcoming someone, God, whatever it is, would you bring the revelation today that if we're part of your body, then we're part of your plan to reveal your love to the world around us. So I pray your blessing upon every home and family represented, and I ask Jesus for more of the reality of your presence and the person of the Holy Spirit and the love of the Father, even as we ask all of these things in your name and for your sake and glory. Amen.